From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. I hope you had a terrific weekend. Um, Welcome back to Open Line, another great week of EWTN's Open Line. Monday, Father Trujillo is in the starting blocks, ready to go. If you've got a question for Father, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-288. 3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1 205 271 2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams. Charles Beery is our celebrity producer today. And uh, Matt Gubensky screening your phone calls. And our social media maven is Mr. Ace McKay. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Monday, the aforementioned Father John Tregilio, doing his best Seven Dwarfs impersonation before the program. He'll be he'll be playing the role of Sneezy today. That's because we had sixteen hundred kids here this weekend. <laughs> it's worse than ragweed, isn't it? Oh, they're like little petri dishes on legs. <laughs> oh, Father, I've got an email here from Barry, and he says, "Is the Eucharist Jesus's body as it was on Calvary, or is it his glorified body?" <laughs> okay, that's an ex- excellent question. I wish the seminaries would ask such questions in class. Uh, it is obviously his his glorified body because he rose from the dead, and that took place 2,000 years ago. So uh, we're not receiving a dead body. It's not dead flesh and blood. It's living flesh and blood. Jesus is risen from the dead, and uh, that's why it's not cannibalism. And cannibalism, you know, to be blunt, <laughs> you kill someone and then you eat their dead flesh uh, and blood. But Jesus rose and he gives us his living bread, his living blood uh, that keeps our soul uh, alive. So uh, that's why at the Mass you have the two, the two separate consecrations. The, the, the priest consecrates the bread, this is my body, and then he genuflects, elevates the host, and then separately consecrates the wine and uh that's the separation of body from blood. So that's Jesus' death on Good Friday. That's why we say it's a reenactment of Calvary. But Jesus is risen from the dead. So when you go to communion, you're not receiving dead flesh and blood. Uh, you're receiving the living body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. So, you know, Father, <laughs> the, fa- the faith is so comprehensive, and it speaks... You know, really, Holy Mother Church and our Catholic faith has something to say about just every about about every aspect of our life. 
uh, which is a glorious thing to give us guidance and uh, keep us moving in the right direction. Um, and and all of the minutia in various areas are very important to to sort of hash out because that is you know there are people that's what they need to speak to their heart so that they can really open themselves up to you know the basics of of what Jesus has to offer. But nobody gets to the core of problems quite like five year old girls. And uh, <laughs> Carol writes in and she said, my five year old daughter wonders why did Jesus need the church. How can I answer her? Well, first of all, it's not that he needed the church because being God, he's omnipotent. He can do anything. He needs nothing. But he chose. He chose to uh, create, to, to found the church on the rock of Peter. It's like he didn't need to have 12 apostles, but he chose to have 12 apostles. He chose to establish the church. He chose to give us the seven sacraments. So it's not by necessity that Christ uh, does this, uh, but it's by divine choice. And because of that, you know, we, we can certainly follow it and embrace it and not think, well, this is something that God had to do. Uh, likewise, even his death on the cross, he freely accepted that. Uh, he embraced uh, that, that sacrifice uh, it wasn't something he was compelled to do. He says, I laid down my life freely. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Still three open lines for you at 833-288-3986. Adam wants to know... <laughs> what, a, what a name. Adam wants to know if all sins are equal. And why is there such an emphasis on uh, the sinless... The sinfulness of sexual relations. Okay. Well, um, they're not all the same in the sense of severity uh, any more than you have, like in civil law, we have a distinction between uh, a felony and a misdemeanor. Uh, in, in physical uh, medicine and in health, we have a difference between a benign tumor and malignant tumor. And so we have in, in moral theology a distinction between mortal sin and venial sin, mortal sin, from the very word itself, mortal, means that uh, one uh, life in the uh, one's life and grace dies, and they need to be brought back to life through the sacrament of uh, confession. Uh, this tier uh, is not arbitrary uh, any more than, you know, I just heard on the way over to my office this uh, the, today that. You know, King Charles, they just found out, uh, diagnosed with cancer. There's different levels and stages of cancer, but obviously there's more serious and then there's less serious. And uh, in, the, in the spiritual life, we want to certainly give first preference and attention to the most serious uh, because they are deadly. But we don't want to take, treat the venial uh, as merely incidental. In the same way, a, a good doctor would say, well, don't worry about that thing that's growing on the side of your face. It's, it's benign. You say, but I don't want it. It doesn't belong there. Uh, but it's not malignant. I know that. But it still doesn't belong there. And we should have that same kind of uh, desire to, to get rid of venial sins. Now, there is no poverty of matter, as they say in moral theology, in regards to sexual sins. Uh, because every act against the, the sixth and ninth commandment is considered grave matter. Now, obviously, we have to also remember in theology that for there to be a moral sin, you need first grave matter, but you must also have 
full consent of the will and sufficient knowledge. So somebody could be subjectively not guilty of mortal sin uh, because of many different conditions, but objectively they would. So any violation of the sixth and ninth commandment, whether it's adultery, fornication, masturbation, um, you know, in vitro fertilization, anything that violates that integrity because uh, sexuality exists uh, for one purpose is for between husband and wife in the sanctity of marriage. If that's not occurring within that confines, then it is considered wrong and sinful. Kay writes in, I'm in Catholic school. My teacher asked, who thinks it's unfair that women can't be priests and told us that he thinks it is unfair? How can I respond to him about why I disagree? Well, it, it's not an issue of fairness, justice, uh, because first of all, it, it's not that any man could just say, well, I'm a man, ordain me. Uh, we have 160-some very excellent candidates here at the seminary where I work, but uh, we have to go through a process of discernment, and then uh, the most important uh, part is when the bishop, uh, who's going to ordain them, calls them uh, forward to holy orders. So it's not just the fact that You've got a baptized male, although that's what uh, St. John Paul the Great made very clear in Ordinatio Sacerdotalis, uh, a document that he issued uh, stating that only baptized males can be ordained, but not all baptized males can be ordained. Now, the reason is because Jesus was male. In his human nature, he had a sexual gender. He had identity. Uh, as a divine person, he's a pure spirit. He's the second person of the Trinity, He's got divine intellect, divine will as part of his divine person. Uh, there's no human person in, in Jesus Christ, but there's a human nature. He's got a human body, human soul. Uh, but that manhood, malehood aspect of Jesus' uh, human nature is what's reflected in the priesthood because the priest acts in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. He acts as an altar Christu, as another Christ. And Jesus refers to himself uh, as the bridegroom, the church is his bride. And since we do not uh, recognize the, you know, the existence of same-sex unions, uh, the church is his bride requires that there be a groom. And so the priest must be male to reflect that aspect of Jesus' uh, human nature. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Chuck in Nebraska, Jeff Free in Pennsylvania, and Judy driving through Texas, and we've still got time for your calls. 833-288-EWTN. It's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Valentine's Day is coming, fellas. And I'm just going to, I'm going to, this is just me reaching out. Uh, this is a, a corporal work of mercy on my part to you. If your wife or your significant other has told you that Valentine's Day is no big deal and that you don't need to get a gift, you don't need, do not listen. 
Do not listen. Make dinner reservations. Buy a gift. I'm telling you, it will save you. And what? No better gift. If your if your wife or significant other is anything like my wife, she likes to have a rosary, no more than three steps from her at all times. And so uh, we have rosaries all over the house, and uh, we've got a beautiful <laughs> item here in EWTN's religious catalog. It is a New England pewter rosary. It's the precious rosary made with multicolor pearlescent pastel heart-shaped glass beads. She'll never forget when she when you gave that to her. The crucifix and miraculous metal centers are genuine New England pewter. They're buffed for an added sheen. The crucifix is about two inches long, and the entire rosary, when it's laid flat, is just under 20 inches long. It's an exclusive to EWTN and made right here in the United States. It's available now at EWTNRC.com. They're also offering free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. That's standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. Use code FREE at checkout. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. First up today is Chuck, a first-time caller in the great Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Chuck, thank you so much for holding. You're on with Father Trujillo. Hi, and thank you for taking my call. I'm grateful for everything I've learned listening to your program. I like to pray uh, the glory be, glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning. I like to pray that because it's one of the few prayers where we're not asking for something. Anyway, my question is, what or when was the beginning? In the prayer it says, as it was in the beginning, what or when was the beginning? That is an excellent question. Very, very good and very astute. (laughs) I can't wait to hear you answer this one. Well, as the prayer says, as this caller rightfully mentions, glory be to the Father and to the Son and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, refers to the fact that first, um, first of all, God has no beginning, but the universe does. And so we call that creation. And God created the universe out of nothing, creatio ex nihilo, which is one of the proofs of his existence that the universe could not make itself appear out of nothing, because if it did, it would have always existed. The fact that scientists can tell us how old the universe is already tells you by logic that there must have been a point in which it didn't exist, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to measure its age. So God existed before anything else, and so that's why we say in the beginning, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. Uh, yes, it is a beautiful prayer of adoration. It's just adoring God praising God for being God, and that he is eternal. He has no beginning, no end. But we do. The created reality has a beginning. The angels, the universe, uh, were created uh, by God. And so it's a way of, ref- of referring to the creator who himself has no beginning or end. Does that help, Chuck, for you? Yeah, yeah, um, that does help. And I have one follow-up question, sure. if you have time. Sure. Um, is there a hierarchy in the Trinity? Oh, well, that's a good question, too. Uh, no, because all three are equal. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal, and they share the same divine nature. So 
all three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, have the same divine intellect, the same divine will. So what one knows, all three know. What one wills, all three will. It's only in Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity, that his human nature was created in time. But because he's one divine person with two natures, he is not inferior to the Father or the Spirit, even though he's got a created human nature. His personhood, which is the important thing, uh, is certainly divine and it's equal. Uh, that's part of our Christian um, Trinitarian theology. Thanks, Chuck. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN. That is our um, toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Um, next up is Jeffrey, a first-time caller in Hershey, Pennsylvania, listening on Holy Family Radio. Jeffrey, you're on with Father John. Hi, John. Hello. Father. Um, I was at St. Joan of Arc uh, at your first sermon that you gave there in Hershey, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Ah, uh, I remember it well. It's one of my favorite assignments. <laughs> oh, I, we loved you there. I remember you talking about your brother in New York, and uh, you used to come to Guido McNeil's to eat. Yes, yes, I remember that place yeah. well, too. <laughs> and I used to cook you some food. <laughs> Okay, let's get to the meat of it real quick. Um, my kids went to school there. They went off to college. And uh, religion is, is on their back burner. And I try to bring it up. And um, really because they're scattered around the country, mm -hmm. when I bring it up, they really don't want to hear anything. And the other night I just thought I have to either go visit them or whatever and spend a day with them um, because, <clears throat> um, you know, when they went off to college and they get caught up in everything, and I don't want them to be down and out before they hit rock bottom and need it. And You know what I mean? Yes. They just think they're cruising, and... Uh, <clears throat> Another thing is my wife um, started meditating, and and uh, she kind of left Christianity, and they kind of follow her, yeah. um, and it's it's kind of difficult. And I I don't know how to approach it to push them away. Yeah. Well, Jeff, first of all, um, you can count on my prayers uh, for you and for your family, and. That's the first and most important thing you can do is to always pray for them. Remember, uh, St. Monica prayed for over 30-some years so that her son, who would later become St. Augustine, would leave a, a life of paganism and embrace Christianity and then would later become a Catholic bishop and then ultimately a saint. Um, so patient prayer is absolutely first and foremost. Secondly, giving good example by you being a devout Catholic Christian, uh, that you uh, pray every day, which I'm sure you do, that you go to Mass. That's the second thing. And the third, remember what Jesus said, a prophet's not without honor except where? In his own house. So don't be discouraged if you're not seeing that your efforts are, are fruitful. Uh, you're planting the seeds, so to speak. Maybe someone else along the line, or maybe after 
you leave this earth, um, you know, that, that, that might be when they decide to come back. But praying for them, giving good example. And here's a nice little subtle way I recommend to many uh, parents and spouses. Uh, when your family's not looking, when you go visit your children, leave a copy of something like Catholicism for Dummies, perhaps, uh, strategically placed, like maybe in the bathroom, or rather than giving to them out in the open, because then they won't, they won't accept it, put it where they'll find it, and just out of curiosity, they might flip through it and say, wow, I remember reading something about that. It might spur on uh, something uh, in their intellect, which I hope happens. But if you directly confront them, if you say, I'm going to you know, preach to them in a sense, that works when they're kids, when they're under your complete jurisdiction. When they're full-grown adults, whether they live at home or not, whether, like in the case with your, your, your wife, she, she no longer practices, the prayers, every day you must pray for them, giving good example, and then the more subtle way, too, of uh, leaving you know, a, a book like that. And Mother Teresa of Calcutta would often have in her pocket little miraculous medals. And when your family's not looking, I'd say throw one in their house. Um, you know, Be careful you don't throw it on the carpet because it might get sucked up by the vacuum cleaner. Someone called me about that once. I have to point out to be careful. But sacramentals are very powerful, too. So uh, sprinkling with holy water, putting a, a miraculous metal uh, somewhere in their house, again, not announcing that you're doing it, but uh, it's still going to be uh, somewhat effective. So persevere, uh, don't be discouraged, uh, and make maybe, especially this Lent, making some very, very small uh, mortifications for them. Uh, you're not doing this to impress God, but you're doing it for their faith. And again, that's how many souls are brought back to Christ and to the church, is through the uh, the sacrifices of others. God bless you, Jeffrey. We appreciate the phone call today. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. I'm going to go back just for a second, Father, to uh, the second part of Chuck's question when he was asking about the hierarchy within the Trinity. And I think that the... Uh, this has always struck me that the preface to the Mass, which is what is said just before the the Sanctus, the Holy, 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 in the extraordinary form, sums up the Trinity and the and the lack of hierarchy uh, as well as anything I've ever seen. And I just wanted to take a second for our listeners and, and read that uh, to you. It says the priest says. It is truly fitting and just, proper and beneficial, that we should always and everywhere give thanks unto Thee, Holy Lord, Father Almighty, everlasting God, who, with Thine only begotten Son and the Holy Spirit, art one God, one Lord, not in the singularity of one person, but in the trinity of one substance. For what we believe from Thy revelation of Thy glory, the same we believe of Thy Son, the same of the Holy Spirit, without difference or distinction. So that in confessing the true and everlasting deity, particularity of, in persons, unity in essence, and equality in majesty may be adored. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty clear, don't you think? Oh, it is. And, you know, that preface uh, for the Most Holy Trinity, which is even in the, uh, the Novus Ordo in the ordinary form, that's one that priests can memorize so that 
you know, God forbid you get to the point where you can't read anymore because like from macular degeneration, you could use that all the time. Uh, Father Levis, who had was going blind before he died, he knew that preface by heart. Um, it's also very much based on the Athanasian Creed, which is something I would encourage people to take a good glance at too. Awesome. Straight ahead, we're going to get to Judy, Ellen, Nina, and we've got plenty of time for your calls as well. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Finally, we're going to get to Judy driving through the Republic of Texas, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Judy, you have been so patient. You're on with Father John. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. I have kind of an odd question. Um, At Mass, after consecration, after communion, the priest was finishing up, and he took a sip from the chalice, and then he put his finger in the chalice, and it looks like, I don't know, he put picked something out and wiped it on the linen, took another sip, and then he did it again. He was picking something out of the chalice. And I was under the impression that if something was in the chalice, he would have to drink it. I don't know where I heard that exactly, but I was it just kind of surprised me is all. So I just wanted to ask your opinion. Yes. Um, uh, first of all, uh, sometimes people might notice that some priests, after uh, giving Holy Communion, uh, when they're purifying the chalice, will often have their um, forefingers, you know, their two thumbs and their two forefingers, and then... Uh, have the altar server pour uh, uh, water or wine over that to purify their fingers because they were given out communion. Uh, That's something that some priests do. But what you're talking about is when um, a priest finds some foreign element in there. We're not obligated to drink a bug. And I've had flies, gnats, stink bugs. um, You know, part of the reason why they have that little thing called the pall it's a piece of plastic or cardboard with a cloth that you cover the chalices because, you know, even in our modern times, birds get into the church and, you know, you can find their little surprises uh, floating in there. So the priest is not obligated to consume that. If he can uh, strategically remove it, putting it on that purificator, which then gets washed in the sacrarium. It's a special sink in the sacristy that goes directly into the ground. It does not go through the sewer system. And that's where uh, things, uh, sacred vessels can be purified. Linens uh, can be washed like the purificator. So if it's possible, then he can do that. Um, if he's unable to, then there's another method in which you dilute the precious blood with water to the more than 50% so that it ceases to be uh, the precious blood once the accidents cease to exist then the substance uh, uh, disappears so um, that's one other alternative but the priest is not obligated to consume something especially if it's something that um, is nasty okay Um, I know some people think that that's the case Um, no 
But if you can't see what's in there, then you, you know, and I know some people say, well, it's the precious blood. You know, how could you be hurt by it? But the accidents remain. That's because uh, the qualities of, of wine and, and bread are still there, even though the substance has changed. And there's something foreign in there. That still exists, okay? So, uh, uh, you know, we, we tell the seminarians, if you see something that doesn't belong in there, you prudently, carefully remove it. But because it's now been in contact with the real presence, you have to treat that with utmost respect. Does that help, Judy? Yes, it does. It, it just was kind of took me by surprise. And I thought I had heard something, you know, where they did have to drink, like, a bug or something if it got in there. So, okay, Yeah, no, the, no there's, a, there's a book that has, even in the old rite, what to do when, when things happen. And there is a special paragraph on when flies or bugs get into the chalice. God bless you, Judy. We appreciate the phone call. We head next to the great state of Missouri. Ellen is a first-time caller driving through Missouri, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Ellen, you're on with Father Trujillo. Hi, thank you. Yes, um, my question was triggered by the discussion of the Trinity, and I was wondering, um, does it matter who you address when you pray? I know in the Mass, the, the prayers are generally directed toward the Father, but and through asking through Jesus, and so if I'm praying to the Father, do I always have to say through Jesus? Okay, that's a good question, and certainly I, I, I ask people to be pay close attention that when you are at, at Mass, the prayers are spe- specifically uh, designed so that uh, in many cases, if not most or all, that all persons of the Trinity are at least invoked so that although we do emphasize obviously the sacrifice of the mass is the offering of the son to the father uh all three persons are 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 present um they're distinct but not separate so one does all three do it's by appropriation that our finite minds just to get a handle on this uh it's it's an infinite mystery but we to get a handle on it we ascribe certain things to a person uh just like creation to the father um redemption to the Son, and sanctification to the Holy Spirit. But all three are always present and acting uh, because there's it's on one God, but three persons in one God. Uh, so in the prayers, we try to mention all three when possible. Certainly in the Eucharistic prayer, we do that. Um, we say that in many other part, prayers that are in the church. And a lot of the hymns, uh, they, you know, they, they revised or, or uh, reevaluated that... Uh, you know, we're encouraged not to just have a verse to the Father, but if there's in the in the hymn itself, there's a verse to the Son, then you better have a, the other verse to the Holy Spirit. We we don't want to separate that, and it's 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 a subtle thing to be sure. But uh, when you look at the Mass, if you do a word search, uh, you will see in in many instances, you know, when the Father is 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 uh, directed in prayer, we also mention that you know it's because of of Jesus the Son with the Holy Spirit. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Next up is Nina. She's in the great state of New Jersey, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Nina, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Trujillo. Hi. Thank you for taking my phone call, Father. I really appreciate it. Um, I had a question... um, regarding um, same-sex attraction. 
I, over the recent past, I, I found out that my niece, my brother's daughter, uh, went to a very liberal music arts school college and um, became uh, drawn in by that culture. And um, now that she's graduated, my brother has been, you know, talking and aligning himself with that type of um, conversation. And I'm wondering, um, we are, we do family Zooms. My mother's 95, so our, we do family Zooms and we get to talk with each other um, weekly or biweekly. Um, how can I gently weave that into the conversation uh, in love? Or is there anything that I could do on the side to encourage my brother not to uh, drink the Kool-Aid? I'm sorry. That's just yeah. Firm. No, I know, I know what you mean. Um, as I mentioned to a previous caller, um, the first and foremost important thing is that you, you, you need to pray for your, your brother. You must pray for your niece every day. Make that an explicit prayer. Uh, I would say, as soon as you get uh, wake up in the morning, before you get out of the bed, uh, say a prayer for both of them, uh, because that's going to be the most important. Uh, giving good example. Uh, now, in this case, again, a prophet's not without honor except in, in, in his or her own house. Don't be discouraged if you don't see receptivity. Um, you know, if you push it too hard, they're going to get blowback and they're going to just tune you out or turn you off. But at the same token, you don't want to give credence, affirmation to this, uh, not just false teaching, which it is, but it's also dangerous because it, it's it's against God's holy commandments. That being said, uh, always be attentive to whenever the door may open when he may ask you something about this. But at the same token, you preaching at him, uh, trying to uh, debate this, um, you know, if he's not in in, in a receptive mode, it's not going to be a, a big assistance. Uh, so just be kind without selling out and being, and because sometimes people, especially Christians, misinterpret this idea of Christianity uh, being a nice uh, religion that you know we tolerate. We tolerate people. We don't tolerate errors. Uh, errors have no rights, but people do. And the right that people have is the right, uh, you know, as a child of God, to be respected. But that's not giving uh, a green light to everything they say and do because, you know, otherwise, you know, why would we have criminals in, in jail? Why would we arrest people if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, what they do is dangerous to the common good and to themselves? And the spiritual life, it's it's the same. So um, it's it takes a little delicacy, yes, a little diplomacy, yes, but uh, persevere. And when you find the opportunity, mention you know, that uh, this is the teaching of the church. But if that's all the time they you meet with them, that's what you bring up, then, you know, it, it's, it's going to, um, he'll tune you out. But I, I would say praying for him and, and your niece is the first and foremost thing you need to do. And whenever you're asked or given the opportunity, uh, certainly defending the church's teaching. But uh, again, you don't want to be like on a street corner uh, yelling at people as they go by. That's not really effective. God bless you, Nina. We appreciate the call today. That opens up another line for you at 833-288-EWTN. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3986. We're heading out of the Queen City, Cincinnati, Ohio. Gregory is listening on Sacred Heart Radio. 
Gregory, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Tregilio. Thank you. I'm a Protestant, but I go to Mass every day. And I'm wondering if I convert to Catholicism, receive absolution and the Eucharist, is it acceptable for me to still attend the Protestant Church on Sunday morning? Uh, well, um, as a cat, I'm praying for you, that you will come into full communion because that'd be wonderful for us and wonderful for you. Um, as a Catholic Christian, when you would become Catholic, uh, you would still be obligated to go to Mass on Sunday, receive Holy Communion. That doesn't prevent you from going to uh, a Protestant uh, uh, worship service. It's just that you wouldn't be able to participate in it fully. Uh, you wouldn't be able to receive communion uh, in that church because Catholics are are restricted to receiving. First of all, uh, it's not the real presence. It's not the, a valid sacrament. And uh, it would be sending off the wrong signals. But I've known many people who've, um, you know, their spouse was of a different faith, and they would go to Mass on Sunday or Saturday night and then go with their spouse uh, Sunday to a Protestant service. And, you know, the, again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's what we call communicatio in sacris, where if you fully participate to the extent that you uh, share what they call communion, that would be uh, not allowed. But you can go. Uh, you can attend. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it would be good for you to be a, a member there because you're now a member uh, of, of the Catholic Church, of the Catholic parish where you were brought in. But you could still go, and you're going to have friends there, and you might be a positive influence uh, on them. So that's one advantage, I would say, that, that would be uh, to consider. But it's not like you're... Like it's not like you have dual citizenship. Like a friend of mine, he's got an American passport and an Italian passport. Uh, that doesn't work uh, in terms of, of of faith and religion. But you can certainly go uh, and and um, be supportive to the extent that there are things that we share in common: our our belief in Jesus Christ, in the Holy Trinity, uh, in, in the uh, uh, divine revelation, uh, in sacred scripture. But then the broader aspect of seven sacraments, sacred scripture, and sacred tradition, uh, the papal um, ministry, uh, the, the um, intercession of Mary and the saints. These are all things which obviously we want you to embrace completely. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. February 5th has finally arrived. We never thought it would get here, but today, as soon as we're finished with the program here on Open Line at the top of the hour, it's the premiere of... Beacon of Truth with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. You'll be able to hear it here at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, Monday through Friday. You can tune in and find out why they call Deacon Harold the dynamic deacon. Um, <laughs> he is not only a fiery preacher. Uh, and fiery preachers are all well and good, but being fiery for the sake of being fiery is one thing. But Deacon Harold has the academic credentials. Um, and he has the passion. He speaks the way he speaks and preaches with the fire that he preaches because he believes it and he wants you to believe it. He wants to give it away. He has a perfect, uh, near-perfect evangelical heart, and uh, we want you to experience that every day right here on EWTN Radio. Um, he will uh, he'll get it all started today, the very first program coming up next hour the Beacon of Truth with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers right here on 
EWTN Radio. Do you have a plug for Deacon Harold, Father? He's awesome. That's all I can say. He is awesome. <laughs> Next up is Chuck in Raleigh, North Carolina, listening on Divine Mercy Radio. Chuck, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you all for your program. I really enjoy it. Every day it helps. But my question is this. My wife and I have been discussing, we feel almost totally disenfranchised and non inconsequential to the Church anymore. Never in the Church, when we go to listen to the services and everything, do they say, blessed are the taxpayers who are putting the envelopes in here, who are carrying the rich and the greedy on their backs, and who are also carrying the poor who pay no responsibility for coming $8 million across the border, and our Church is part of bringing them here and distributing them. How is it that the broad swathe of the Catholic base here in the United States is now looked at as being, by the Pope anyway, as too regressive, and we need to be more progressive? How is it we have no Church who is doing anything to help enable the people who pay the taxes to get by? My children couldn't afford to buy a house. We're 75 years old, been married 56 years. My children couldn't afford to buy houses. We had to dip in the savings and get the family to help because there was no programs available for, for us. My grandchildren are in their 20s. They're living at home, and they have no hope at all of buying a house. Yeah, Father John, uh, uh, what about some of the concerns Chuck has here? Yeah, I, I feel for him, and, and, and I certainly concur. There's a lot of issues here that, uh, you know, you can't, we can't overgeneralize and say, uh, you know, because we do have a preferential option for the poor, but that doesn't mean that we throw prudence and justice out the window. You know, th those uh, those um, wonderful uh, cardinal virtues are always intact. In fact, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas tells us that, you know, uh, grace builds upon nature, and the, the, the supernatural life needs a foundation in the natural life, so we need to be virtuous in, in order to f then become holy. That being said, we have to balance things equitably that yes you know we need to be concerned about uh, the migrants but we also need to be concerned about the citizens the tax-paying citizens the common welfare the common good i mean uh, i just saw on tv the other day where you had some uh, uh immigrants who had started attack and beat up a policeman in new york uh that can't be tolerated uh so it's it's not either or it's like pope benedict said it's both and we can and we must be concerned for the poor, uh, for those who are seeking asylum, for the migrants. Um, my grandparents came from the old country, but also that we do this properly, justly, fairly, and that we don't make it a burden on those, you know, uh, who obviously have already been overburdened. And I, I certainly agree that, you know, there's a there's a inequality that exists uh, in many areas. The middle class are being hit from both ends. Uh, and therefore, you know, we need to take that consideration. I, the prudential judgments of uh, church leaders are distinct from the doctrinal uh, teachings of the church, and therefore there is wiggle room for uh, discussion, even disagreement uh, about those prudential judgments. It's when they speak as teachers and pastors that we want to make a distinction. But that being said, uh, we're not blind lemmings that are going to jump off the, the edge of the cliff. 
God gave us intelligence, and Holy Mother Church insists that you know we we do what's right and just in the eyes of God. But that's to all the extent, not just in one particular area. So yes, I understand his angst. I I I, I concur with with a lot of it. But the same token, I wouldn't paint with a broad brush and say, well, you know, the Catholic Church is sold out. No, no, she's not. Some people have misinterpreted that, and it may seem that way to some people, but uh, the substance that's there in terms of what we believe and how we worship have not changed. Um, Tina wants to know, if I am not sorry for all my sins, will they still be forgiven in confession? Well, if you're not sorry, that's one of the conditions to be forgiven is that you're sorry for what you did. And so, if so, let's say theoretically, hypothetically, someone comes into confessional and says, "Father, I, I'm, I committed adultery, but I'm not sorry." He's tied my hands. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not being a mean, nasty person and saying I can't absolve you because I can only absolve sins that are absolvable, and that means a sin that someone has contrition for. Uh, now, it's absolutely essential that that most of us, you know, are unable to give metaphysical certitude that we're never ever going to do these things again we're at least going to try that's all that's required is that a person is sorry and there's a firm purpose of amendment that they're going to try to to avoid this in the future but if someone has no sorrow for what they've done you know it's like if you don't ask to be sorry if you don't ask for forgiveness god's not going to shove it down your throat so we want people to be sorry and certainly there's two kinds of contrition. Imperfect, where I'm afraid of the pains of hell, it's valid. But the better one is perfect contrition, where I'm sorry because I've offended an all good and loving God. Um, Father, next up is Ray, a first-time caller in the great state of Colorado. She is listening on the Catholic Radio Network. Ray, you are on with Father John. Hi, Father. Um, so let me just get get straight to it. Um, I've been, I was civilly married for 10 years, um, and then, uh, decided, you know, to get, we wanted to get married in the church, so we got annulment from our previous marriage. Um, we, we, uh, two years after that, we, we were able to get our marriage blessed in the church, um, and after that, we, that was in May, in September, he decided to divorce me civilly due to reasons of uh, money, money issues, um, and didn't want to be apart with me. Um, and in doing that has hurt me tremendously because I felt that um, there shouldn't be any reason, no matter what, to be separated. But he still seems to think that it's just civilly, it's not real. Um, but it hurt me, um, and to the point where after the divorce was final in December, um, I moved out, um, and he is now saying that I'm listening to the devil, that the devil wants the vision, that, um, that I'm supposed to forgive and stay with him, um, even though a lot of stuff has happened and a lot of stuff has been said and division in my family has occurred because of a lot of stuff that he's done. I want to know if me staying separated from him, am I still in good standing with my church? 
Uh, well, that, that, uh, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that, and, and I want to assure you of, of my prayers for you. Um, you're never obligated to put yourself in any type of danger. So if someone's afraid of an abusive uh, spouse, whether it's verbal or physical, obviously your safety comes first. And so the church you know, does not forbid separation for safety, whether it's uh, physical, mental, uh, or otherwise. Um, if someone is living a, an improper lifestyle, uh, somebody's, you know, I, I had a, a friend of mine, their spouse was a compulsive gambler and then became an alcoholic uh, until they seek to get that resolved and get help. Uh, you know, they had no, the, the other part, the other spouse had no alternative but to, to separate from them. What's not allowed is when someone uh, divorces, separates, and then attempts to remarry. Uh, the, the separation, which is not the best case scenario, may be the only one that's viable. And certainly if you know, you, you're, you're either in jeopardy uh, or you see that there is absolutely no uh, genuine desire on his part uh, to, to live as husband and wife, to, to be faithful uh, in terms of marital fidelity, as well as that this be a permanent and a, you know God willing fruitful union if it's still possible. Um, so I would say certainly talk to the parish priest that, that uh, where you're at for some guidance and for some prayers. But it's not sinful to be separated if you need to be. Uh, but that is the question: is you know is this something that I need to do uh, for my own safety, uh, well-being? Uh, While well, at the same time, if the possibility were to arise that this that your husband genuinely wants to reform and is going to go for counseling, that there is uh, a, a, an opportunity uh, for reconciliation. Ray, we'll keep you in our prayers for sure. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, Ephilius, Espiritus Sanctus. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer, Charles Beery, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Ace McKay. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to Open Line. Back at it tomorrow with Father Wade. Until then, God bless.